This chapter forms part of episode 40 of the Education Research Reading Room podcast on online learning. Before listening, I highly recommend that you listen to the chapter introduction in order to get a sense of what's in this chapter as well as each of the other six. And if you enjoy this chapter, please share it with friends and colleagues. Chapter 1, Courtney Ostaff on online maths teaching and collaboration. Courtney Ostaff has been teaching online for two decades, most recently for the Well-Trained Mind Academy in the United States, with a Master's in Secondary Education and Licensing in Maths, Science and Social Studies in grades 5 to 12, as well as in Visual Impairment from Birth to Adult. Courtney has experience in providing in-home services from birth to three as a public school teacher and as a homeschooling parent. Using her personal lens to inform her professional work, Courtney teaches mathematics, science and social studies to middle and high school students all over the world. In this chapter, Courtney speaks primarily about mathematics teaching, but she also has some fantastic advice about catering to students with diverse needs and effective ways to support students to collaborate online. Courtney Ostaff, welcome to the Education Research Reading Room. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Wonderful. So, Courtney, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I live in the middle of the Appalachian Mountain Range on the east coast of North America in the United States, um, in the state of West Virginia, which is a real state, people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm on day 20 of sheltering at home. Uh, I, I'm a homeschooler. I have two kids, ages 6 and 12. My mother lives with us as well. She's 67. Um, and we got a shelter in place order on Tuesday. So mm. uh, it's illegal to leave the house except to obtain food or medical care or visit a bank, unless you're an essential employee like my husband. Um, but since I work from home, this hasn't been as much of an issue for me as it would have been in other other places with other people. So it's it's not great, but it's not terrible. Good to hear. So what and who have you been teaching online? Uh, recently. <laughs> so this school year, I picked up biology for, um, at the very last minute. I've been teaching uh, preparation for pre-algebra, pre-algebra, algebra one. I teach world geography in the, in the autumn and in the spring, I teach astronomy in that time slot. So my school enrolls students by skill level and not age. So in any given class, I can have students from 9 to 16. I taught um, high school geometry one year, and the best student was 8. She was profoundly gifted. So wow. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's fun. But I do um, a student survey, and typically about half of my students are about age 11 or so. So it's, uh, it's an interesting mix. Okay, cool. So maybe today we'll, we'll pick one of the classes that you teach could you sure. maybe one of those maths classes that you teach? Sure. Um, and yeah. learn on that. So, so maybe I might skip to the next question. In terms of, t- tell us the, the the class you'd like to speak about, and could you give us an overview of of what a week of online learning looks like with that class? Well, so. Um, with the caveat that I've been doing this for a while, right? Mm-hmm. And these are students who sh- who signed up for this. And so I have some more demanding standards than I would have, you know, if I were a regular public school weaker, who, public school teacher had a week to do this. So I, um, let's say my Algebra 1 class, because it's arguably my most popular class. Mm-hmm. And we use the Saxon math curriculum. Mm-hmm. 
which is a direct instruction curriculum. It's not commonly used in public schools here in the United States. Uh, it's pretty distinctive if you've ever messed with it. And I spent um, a year translating all of the problem sets into Math Excel for School, which is a Pearson um, database, I guess, of uh, like a, a problems bank. So if it was, for example, one plus one equals two, then I would go to the data bank and I would look for the algorithm that says single digit plus single digit equals whatever. Mm. And so I did the whole problem sets for all of the books. So, and Saxon math doesn't have chapters like other math books do. Um, it's a lesson, 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 test, lesson, 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 test. And every 10th lesson is an investigation, a hands-on project. Mm -hmm. So my class for Algebra 1 is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, they have a homework set. Mm -hmm. And that's in the Math Excel for school. And then on Friday, I do an assessment. And usually it's a quiz. Every about once a month or so, we I make it a test. It's basically the same thing, but it's a test. It's worth mm -hmm. more. Um, once a month, I do a math journal. Uh, I'm required by school policy to do comprehensive exams. So I do those. And I also, in order to draw people back to the online class, we do discussion questions. So I, I pose a question on Monday. And so I like to give students as much agency as possible. So one of the things that I do is that that Monday question, they can watch a video that I have selected and answer questions. They can read a news article that I have selected and answer questions. Or they can do a hands-on project and share the results of that. Um, for example, in February, I found the directions for a, um, it's like a Mobius strip, but when you cut it, it turns into two interlocked hearts. Mm -hmm. You know, that's because cool. it's Valentine's Day, right? You know, and they post a picture of it. Okay, great. So th there's a lot of components to unpack there. So when you yeah. say like an instructional video, is that just where you get them from? Oh. I get two 50-minute live lecture sessions a week to pack all of Algebra 1 in. Mm -hmm. So we are intense and on topic for 50 minutes at a time twice a week. Is that something that's recorded? And I recorded? record that. Okay, great. Yeah. Because um, about a quarter of my students don't actually come to the live lecture. Uh, because I have students, I have students from Alaska to Abu Dhabi to Australia. Hi, Sebastian. <laughs> so... Um, they need to be able to interact with the class too. So I purposefully design it that as much as possible is offline. Fantastic. What software do you use to record the lectures? What do you, for the lectures, are you doing PowerPoints? Are you just writing on a tablet? Um, yes. Take us through this. <laughs> All of the above. So um, because my school has shelled out the big bucks for um, Blackboard, that's what we use. It's kind of the default standard in higher education in the United States. And I like to compare it to like a Land Rover. It's big. It doesn't, it's not very maneuverable. It is extremely luxurious. It's got all the bells and whistles, mm -hmm. but it has a really steep learning curve. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's an issue when my students onboard in August. So what are some of the main functionalities of Blackboard? It's got everything that you could ever want. Okay. <laughs> I don't use it all. I will, I will be quite honest. It's got way more than I, I use. What my primary mm, use that I make of it is that it has under assignments, I can make modules 
and I made a module for every week. Mm-hmm. So in my class, there are 34 weeks. So I got, I got 34 weeks, 100 minutes of each of those weeks. And actually, I only have 32 because two of those are exam weeks and we don't have lecture. There's no new material. So um, every week has all of the resources needed to do everything for that week. It's like a it, – it's think of it as a virtual, you know, those manila folders, mm-hmm. right? And so on the front of that is a list of all of the things I want them to do that week, a little handmade calendar, like day one, you do this and this and this, day two, you do this. And if you click inside, so you're opening up the folder, it has links to all of the useful and relevant information, useful videos, ways to upload scans of your homework, all of that is in there. Okay, fantastic. Um, now you talked about the question sets you'd translated into the Pearson Excel. Are they something mm-hmm. that's freely available to other teachers or is that just something that, that you've done? It's something I've done. It's, I did it for my classes. I don't know of anywhere else or with anyone else that has done that. Okay. Fair enough. Um, uh, are there any, oh, let's go, let's go to the next one. So how do you track your students' progress? You, you talked about a few assessment and quizzes there. Are they online quizzes? Are they things that students scan? Tell, talk us through that. So let's look at it from the student's point of view. Okay. Mm. So on Monday morning, um, they're going to wake up, and because they're in my class and we have the same routine every week, they know that on Monday they're going to go pick a discussion question thing and answer it. They're going to log on to Math Excel and do that day's assignment. And then if they're in the lecture section for Monday, they come to class. And so it's, it's not too much on any given day, but it winds up being a lot of work over the week. Mm. So on Tuesday, all they have to do is their, their homework set because they only get class twice a week. On Wednesday, they have to go respond to two other students, and I have very stringent standards for responding to other students. And they do their homework set, and they come to class. On Thursday, they do the last homework set for the week. right? And then on Friday, they do whatever assessment I've, I've chosen for the week. And so it's not too much, you know, but it is, it is work. Sure. In terms of practicalities, so how are they doing this homework? How are they doing the, assi- the assignments and the quizzes and, and, and how are they handing that in and how are you marking it? So they're doing it in Math Excel, right? So they go and they log in and it's, and it's labeled by week. So week one, lesson one, week one, lesson two, week one, lesson three, so like that. And mm-hmm. so you'll get to week nine, 27, lesson 92 in the book. You know, uh, and so they they go in and and it's given them. So Pearson, the one of the reasons why I like it is because I used to teach college algebra for a long time, and this is the software that I really liked when I taught college algebra. Mm-hmm. And so they log in and they open it up, and they're presented with a problem. And the problems are algorithmically generated. So I don't have to worry about cheating because it's all unique problem sets. Mm-hmm. No two students get the same homework. And so they log it in and they go do it. And maybe it's, you know, they're factoring quadratic equations and they haven't got it. Like they don't understand. Well, so there are options. So they can, um, there's a, there's a show me an example Mm. and it has a text base, walk me through it. It has email instructor, so they can drop me a note and be like, hey, I did not get this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I, and I email them back. I train them to email me. Um, but they also get three attempts per problem. 
And then if they still don't get it, then they can try again with a different problem and three attempts. So they get a total of nine attempts per problem. Mm -hmm. And it is amazing to me how hard students will work to do that. Because I, I, you know, if they want to turn in, they do it once and done and they get a 65, I'm not going to like go yell at them, right? Mm. But almost every student takes those tries and works that hard. And I'm like, you know what? If you want to keep working to mastery, go right ahead. <laughs> that's great. So um, is this a software that um, people pay for or is it something that's fairly, fairly valuable? So the software itself is $20 a student, and that's an add-on charge on my course. Okay. And I went to my boss and I said, hey, you know, I, other math teachers online are like making their students scan their work and, and they're printing it out and they're marking it up by hand and then they're rescanning it again and then downloading it to students. And I'm like, that's a lot of work, mm. you know? And it's not super practical because they don't get immediate feedback. Right, they don't get that sense of help, um, and so I, my boss, bless them, they're they're fantastic people. Said, okay, if you want to do this, I've never heard of anybody doing this, but if you want to do this, go right ahead. And so she let me do it, and I did it, and I've had a fantastic response to it. That's my fantastic. classes fell out. That's great. So. I'm wondering, you obviously spent a lot of time writing these questions. You said you spent a whole year doing it. Are there mm -hmm. question sets or question packs that other teachers can use and potentially just download and, and apply? Because a lot of teachers are quickly making the shift to online. You know, you've had a long lead up mm -hmm. time, but mm -hmm. they probably don't have a, a year spare to kind of put all these questions in. <laughs> so, so um, I, I did that because we use the Saxon Math curriculum. Mm -hmm. right which is a pretty distinctive unique curriculum if you just wanted to use a pearson textbook they've got like 120 of them in there mm -hmm. you could just go and say all right i want to teach this algebra one textbook and boom it's all there okay. it's done okay so the and do you know that sounds like it's in the u.s do you know if they've got the same oh, it's, international. it's international it's available everywhere what's the url just so i can have a quick look or what should i google it's mathxlforschool.com so M-A-T-H-X-L-F-O-R-S-C-H-O-O-L.com. Mm -hmm. Do you know what the price is? Oh, you so said 20, you can 20 buy, Yeah, you can buy individually for your student for like if you have one kid for 25 bucks. Mm -hmm. um, or you can buy a course pack and sets of I think it's either 20 or 25 and it's, they give you a discount. I think it's $375 for the course pack. Okay. Now, probably a lot of teachers are already halfway or partway through a year um, mm -hmm. and they don't have the flexibility to change to another textbook and things like that. Mm -hmm. Is there anything mm -hmm. you were doing before this? Were you teaching online before this? Is there anything mm -hmm. you were doing? Or if you were in a teacher's situation right now um, and you did, couldn't you know, convince leadership to purchase this Pearson resource or, or if mm -hmm. it didn't seem to match what you were keen to do um would there be any way or what ways would you try to simulate what you were doing through other technologies potentially free technologies um so if if i were a k through five math teacher and i i had to like do it tomorrow mm. i would tootle myself over to khan academy and set up a class and run it that way mm. <laughs> that's really i would Cool. Do you want to talk us through um, the functionalities of Khan Academy and why you think that's one of the most powerful tools right now? 
Well, so there are a couple of reasons why I like Khan Academy. One is they have a pretty intuitive way to set up classes. Um, so you could do it probably in 45 minutes. So, you know, that that's helpful. Um, and they, they've got great uh, walkthroughs to help you do that. Uh, the other thing that they do that I like is that they have um, uh, interleaved problem sets. Mm -hmm which is really nice in terms of working for mastery. And of course, I mean, Sal Khan is great. I would like put him on my Siri and listen to him to give me directions for anything, you know? <laughs> so, his videos are fantastic. So I, I, I aim to emulate Sal Khan when I, when I do, do a math video. Nice one. That's great. And then Khan Academy also does similar things in terms of they have um, automatically generated questions and the students mm -hmm. get multiple attempts and there's like mm -hmm. click down hints mm -hmm. and things like that. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's mm -hmm. really excellent. All of that. What about if... And it's uh... really nice. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go. I was gonna... uh, my daughter has dysgraphia. And so at one point we were working on Khan Academy and one of the things that I noticed was really good is that she could type in answers. Oh, okay. She could handwrite it or she could type it in. And because her handwriting is so bad, the type in option was super helpful. Mm. Now, what about if you, if you were teaching, so you said that was like a one to five maths. What if you were teaching like a higher level maths um, and Khan Academy didn't quite match? Um, what would your approach be then? Um, if I had to use like a specific book, like the Saxon book, um, then I would try and make sure that all my students had a copy of the book, assuming you had a classroom set of books. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that even though I assume that my students have a copy of the book, if I want them to look at a specific page in the book, I have been absolutely known to scan that page, upload it to my classroom and have them look at it. You can do that in the United States legally if all of the students have a copy of the book mm -hmm. it's assumed that you know it's not copyright infringement if they have a copy anyway if they have a paper copy mm -hmm. um, and so if you did that um, you could do a couple things you could upload it to a virtual whiteboard and work on it together with your class you know uh, that what would technology be... would you use for a virtual whiteboard oh there are a bazillion of them <laughs> um, the I, zoom is really popular in the united states right now i just did a presentation this afternoon with it uh so that's definitely something you do it's really nice because it's got a pretty intuitive annotate feature mm -hmm. and of course it records really well and it's free so you know that's helpful that's great um what about what about um providing student feedback if you didn't have the your current method well I, again with the annotation right the annotation is really important so so I, th I think part of that would depend on how tech savvy your students are mm -hmm. if you have a district for example my local school district every student got issued a chrome a chromebook mm -hmm. and so when they closed the schools and we sheltered in place um, every student has by arrangement with the local uh, cable company, they all have at least student grade internet access. Mm -hmm. So given that caveat, now I live in a pretty wealthy district, right? I live in an R1 university town. It's a big school, mm -hmm. got 50,000 students. Mm -hmm. you know? um, it is, if, if I could make that level of assumption, I would upload that as a PDF. I would ask them to write, you know, with their little fingers on the screens, right? And and then I could see their work, mm -hmm. right? And you can do that pretty easily 
through a long range of mass. Now that's ugly, right? It takes up a lot of storage space. Um, it's slow going because you'd have to examine each of those homework sets individually. I mean, that wouldn't be my ideal by any stretch of the imagination, but it is definitely something that you could do. One of the things that, that I think is a problem for, for new people to online teaching is that you want to grade everything. Mm. And it's really not necessary. You know, don't do it to yourself. <laughs> Give them the work. And I guarantee you most of them will do it if for nothing else than sheer boredom. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, you don't have to grade it all. As long as you have one or two good assessments a week, um, it's okay. Right? It's all right. Great Give advice. them the answer key and have them grade themselves, and they will be shockingly honest about it. Mm. I uh, I do an assessment where we do some like meta analysis, like thinking about our learning kind of thing, mm. and uh, you know probably like a twenty percent of them are like, oh yeah, I didn't do that, huh? <laughs> and that's, it's okay, they're honest, you know. That's great, and that's good advice. Don't feel like you need to grade everything. I I think a lot of teachers would would be grateful to have that that tip at this point in time when, when many people are feeling quite overworked, no doubt. Um, you mentioned before getting students to give feedback to each other's work. Could you talk us briefly through that process and, and what you think is required to make that work effectively? Well, in all of my classes, all the way across the content area, for all of them, I require um, those discussion board questions. And those are like universally reviled among people who take online classes. And I understand, okay, I get it. However, there, there's more to it than just the actual content that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, in a classroom, classroom management is a thing, right? You stand next to the student, you give them a dirty look, you kind of raise your eyebrow, right? You can do that, but you can't do it online. You don't have that power to like make them be quiet and sit down and do their work. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really, really, really easy to have them just kind of like, oh, I think I'm going to go play basketball this afternoon, or I'm going to stay up all night and play World of Warcraft. I see, oh, I had class whoops totally. and so the the object of the discussion board is not necessarily i mean it's great if it reinforces learning but the object is that they come back to class mm. like it exists oh yeah i should do something with that and so that's why i don't i don't mind giving um giving that sort of uh those choice and assignments because it's not about what they learn although reinforcement is great don't get me wrong it's about coming back to class and so when i grade that what i'm looking for is attentiveness mm -hmm. and so that initial discussion discussion response to me i'm looking for one they they actually did the thing and two that their answers are specific enough that i can tell that they did the thing so what's an right. example of a discussion question you might post Oh, well, let me, let me grab one while I'm thinking about it. Uh, so this week in Algebra 1, we are, what are we doing? Now, remember, I've, I've made these and I've used, made them like three years ago. So mm -hmm. people are like, oh, what's the answer to number two? And I'm like, I don't know. I did it three years ago. I can't remember. I wrote it down so I don't have to remember. So let me go see. This is week 28 for us. And so this week I have 80 unread discussion posts since Tuesday. They've okay. been busy. Um, let me see what we've been up to. 
this week one um, watch this YouTube video and explain why it was important for sailors to measure the distance between the horizon and a celestial body. How did it help them determine their position in the ocean? Oh, it's a TED Ed video. Mm. There we go. Um, and how did it, let's see, in simplest form, a log is used to answer this question how many of one number do we multiply to get another number? Why don't we just use our multiplication table? So that's question one. Mm-hmm. Question two. Quite a few questions in that. Yeah. No, they they have work for me. My kids work hard. That's great. So question two is read this conversation uh, from the conversation. uh, The the website is named theconversation.com. And it's talking about adults unable to do basic mathematical tasks. And I think it's not the results. The, you know, that international math test. Mm-hmm. And so it says, let's see if you can do it. So they gave him the question, you know, suppose a, a liter of soda costs $3.50. If you buy a third of a liter, how much would you pay? Suppose upon your trip to the grocery store, you purchase four types of tea packs. All right, that's, that's price, great. Price, price, price. Yeah, so there's a yeah. question. So in terms of how students respond to that, um, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned previously that there are, asked to respond to two other students or something like that because this is in line with collaboration i'm sure a lot of teachers are interested to to work out how to support their students to do more collaboration what what's that process look like their responses are my assessment of it both please oh okay so i and your instructions to them yeah i teach them how to do it in the beginning of the of the year and i reinforce it throughout the year and they get better at it so in the beginning of the year, um, we go over what makes a good response. What makes a good response is two things. It's a two-part thing. One, their response to the other student is specific enough that I know what they were responding to. Mm-hmm. So I have to be able to read it cold, independently, not in the context of the conversation, and understand what they were talking about. Okay. It can't just be, nice job. And two, they have to add something to the conversation. They have to contribute in some way. They can't all stand around like penguins going, nice job, nice job, nice job. That doesn't cut it. They're not going to get credit. And I will nail them on it every time. That's great. And I use a rubric for this. And it's um, auto-summing, auto-grading, and it automatically posts to the gradebook. So all I have to do is three clicks per student per week. Boom, they get a grade and we can move on. That's great. And what kind of a forum are they discussing in? Because, um, I mean, I've been having a play with Microsoft Teams recently. It is like a chat function, mm-hmm. but then it's quite hard mm-hmm. to see who's responding to who. Um, mm-hmm. So do you just have like a one long chat or do you have like one chat for each student's initial response and then two people respond? Or how does that look? So I made the decision a long time ago that I wanted it to be one long stream. Okay. Because my problem is that if each student does their individual response, that it doesn't get read. Right? Yep. You know, like only a few people and they get piled on. That's a good point. Um, so I, I make it one long stream and, and people get a little weirded out about that, but I think it's more fair. Yep. Okay, and they can choose anyone. So you've got the initial question up at the top mm-hmm. of this long stream. Mm-hmm. Then each mm-hmm. student will um, 
independently respond to the stimulus question and mm-hmm. then each question each student will also respond to two other qu- students within that long stream mm-hmm. and in mm-hmm. in so doing they will be clear enough that you can see who they're responding to and that that mm-hmm. can be a standalone comment which is a great idea because it makes you you're marking a lot easier and then the mm-hmm. second thing they need to do is contribute something um in addition to uh just a just a response mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What guidance do you give them in terms of like this is how to contribute something? Like, what does it mean for them to contribute something? I actually have a whole section in my syllabus about this, so right. it's called meaningful participation. Let me see if I can grab my syllabus here. Yeah, I have my astronomy one handy, and so if you, if I, this, it's on page. Four, three of five pages. I have very long syllabi, 12-point font, single-spaced, one-inch margins. It's a big syllabus. Okay. So the, it, it goes, a good rule of thumb is if you don't spend at least several minutes thinking about or developing your position and explaining it, it will probably not be meaningful. Criticizing without offering support is not worthwhile participation, and you will not receive credit. And then I give a whole string of examples that they can do. So share a related experience, ask questions about somebody else's experience, offer a different perspective. You can disagree. I encourage them to disagree with each other as long as it's polite. They got to be polite. Ask for help, uh, share a resource. Um, And so all of those kind of things, and they do all of those things. And I actually, my youngest students this year, I have a whole bunch of 10-year-olds, and they're hands-on. The third part, because they get to do a third part, is um, illustrating um, the the whatever we're studying in biology. So, like, say we were studying, um, like, octopi, right? Mm-hmm. You know. So they drew a whole bunch of octopi. And so it's really interesting. It's the response to that initial drawing that they posted is that they get really into because I made them I made them do a an illustration of a of a real species mm-hmm. like you can't just like it's not fantasy I have to go out and find an actual octopus right mm-hmm. um, they bring in some really cool stuff like I saw this YouTube video about this octopus and here's the link and it's great it's it can be really exciting I think they complain about it like the first month of school they hate it they whine they complain. And then by this time of the school year, it's one of their favorite parts of the class all the way through the age levels. Fantastic. Now, you mentioned that um, syllabus document that includes a section on meaningful contributions. Are are you willing to uh, share that particular page or that section with listeners? Sure. Cool. Absolutely. Fantastic. We'll put a link to that in the show notes um, in the little little summary. Now, something a lot of people... um, have asked about on Twitter is supporting students um, with more diverse needs. And this relates to the idea of differentiation as well. Do you have any particular ways that you you do that? I do that a lot because of the nature of the school that I work at. We kind of cater to homeschoolers. It was, um, and so a lot of homeschoolers are homeschoolers because for one reason or another, they didn't, they weren't successful in the public schools. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and so these are t- often uh, students with really intense learning issues. Mm. So I have a, a whole thing. So for dyslexia, for example, it, we have chat boxes, right? These students are often very um, not comfortable with spelling and grammar and such. So I don't actually require them to participate in the chat box during lecture. Nobody has to do that. 
Um, and I am all about the speech to text and text to speech technology. I, and if they need particular recs for, you know, for software, I'm happy to go there. I do make them do the discussion questions, but it's untimed, you know, and I post these two weeks in advance so they, they can have time to work on it. Um, now I get a lot of students with dyscalculia. I actually, dis I actually designed a course uh, for students who have the learning issues like dyscalculia. Um, and those students, if mom and dad reach out to me or their parental units, whoever is in charge at home, reach out to me and say, hey, my kid has a learning issue, um, they're welcome to use a calculator, a multiplication fact chart. None of the work is timed. I don't time anything. Um, I have a couple software recommendations if they need it. I'm really a big fan of the Mod Math app. Uh, and the and of course you know the Math Excel offers those multiple attempts. They offer have assistance on demand. We go over the material in the textbook during lecture, so they get a lot of reinforcement. Um, and then I interestingly enough for an online class, I get a shocking number of students with auditory processing disorder. Mm. And so I I don't make them do ver out loud verbal participation during the lecture. Um, and, and in fact, I was just thinking the other day, I have in every class all the way across the board, I have a whole set of students who are absolutely silent. They never talk. They never chat. They do the, they do do really thoughtful written discussion board questions. And they're like making 98s, 99s all the way across the school year. Mm. It's, it's interesting to me. Mm. So, but all my lectures are recorded. The slide deck is always posted in each week's assignment folder, and I prepare well enough that, that pretty decent, not perfect transcripts are available on request. Mm. So um, I also, like, I'm very sensitive because obviously my daughter has dysgraphia. I allow scribing by parents and aides. We do the speech-to-text technology. We do the math apps. I have a really high percentage of students with autism. And they often do better with really clear guidelines and expectations. So like we have the daily calendar, every, every assignment has an example of good work. Um, I give them models, you know, mm. uh, I tell them how long it's supposed to take. Like this, I tell my Algebra 1 students I expect 68 minutes per day. Okay. <laughs> I've, I've actually timed it out. Uh, I have lists of assignments with rubrics, and their communication can be really abrupt, and so I try not to take it personally. Um, mm. uh, so we have, you know, you have children with ADHD have difficulty with that executive functioning, right? They have problems making plans and goals, and you don't want to just dump them in an online class format. So they get that step-by-step -step plan with those daily and those weekly goals, and we talk about monthly goals, and I show them how to mark it off, and then, you know, of course, I'm assessing every week did you do these things right mm. and then I have a lot of students with social anxiety and I find that uh, those students often do better with online classes when I have clear goals and expectations and so they may stress about the live lectures and I'll put them on the spot and you know like I said I have those silent students who ace the class it's fine you know it's okay you don't have to talk and then I have a whole bunch of students with other kind of speech or language impairment so I let them type slowly I'm very patient during the chat you know, you'll, if you listen to recording of my classes, there are these big silent gaps while I wait for people to talk. 
Um, and so I don't require microphone use, and I do provide rubrics for those clear expectations about the written assignments. And I don't always expect them to understand what I say. Mm. I mean, I know when people teach online, they're all like, yay, video, this is awesome. And I'm all like, that is like the icing on the cake. That is not the meat and potatoes of the course. It's great. It's lovely. It's fun. But I design it so that if you never watch the video, you can still be successful. And then, of course, there's students with visual impairment, so you need to make sure those slides are high contrast, low clutter, black and white if preferable. And I give them in advance so they can use their screen reader to zoom in as needed. I, those transcripts can be brailled. Um, I actually, in my other life, I'm a teacher with visually impaired, and I have the software to like give them the transcripts to be brailled. And then, of course, there are students who are deaf and hard of hearing. My youngest daughter has a 30% hearing loss, so I'm more sensitive to that. And the online video chats can be really horrific given poor sound quality. Mm. And so, again, those transcripts come really in handy. And vocabulary. How do you, how do you produce those transcripts? I prepare my lectures really, really well. <laughs> oh, so you actually plan it word for word, basically? Yeah, I even plan in the jokes. <laughs> Wow. Okay. I, I really do. <laughs> and then not everybody is going to do that. But what I have found is that doing it, because I don't get sick leave, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> I am a 1099 adjunct. Technically, I'm self-employed. And so, like, I'm dragging myself to class with the flu. I'm dragging myself to class after surgery, you know, after I had, <laughs> this child was born two days ago. So, <laughs> so uh, when, I, when I do that really thorough preparation, um, then I can, I can sit there and I, and I will, and I will be like, kids, I don't feel well this week and I'm sorry in advance because I am low energy today. Sorry. Mm. And they're very patient with me, but I have it all ready. So I don't have to think about it, which is good because I don't know if you've ever taught online, but like my algebra students were giving me a hard time the other day because like I added like something really basic wrong. And I'm like, look, kids, I am sitting here solving a quadratic equation on my head, writing it on the board, in, like with my mouse. You know, I don't have a pen tablet, reading all of your chat questions, answering the chat questions and narrating my way through the thought process of solving this problem. It's like five tasks. I'm switching back and forth. I apologize for adding three plus, plus seven wrong. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, would you be willing to share, you said you've got um, videos of your lesson. If people want to get a get a sense for how you run things, would you be willing to share like a single video of one lesson or something or is it uh, their confidentiality issues with student contributions? You or know what? Actually, I think, I think my school has work samples of all of us on their website. Okay. Actually. Um, all right. Um, what's the website? It's the WellTrainedMindAcademy.com. I think it's WTM Academy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't go to the website very often. <laughs> it's um, well, WTMA Academy. So it's WTMACADEMY.com. Okay, cool. Fantastic. Um, all right, we've got about five minutes left. Perhaps... Mm -hmm you could share we've talked about a few tools you talked about blackboard which is probably not going to be that accessible to a lot of teachers at this point in time you talked about um the pearson 
Maths Excel stuff, which mm-hmm. which may may suit may not. So you talked about Khan Academy, which is really powerful. Uh, mm-hmm. Are there any other online tools that you think teachers will be able to easily access and utilize at this time? I really like Canvas. If I had to start from scratch and I didn't have any money, I would definitely go get myself an account at Canvas. It has pretty much all of the important things that Blackboard has. Uh, including a really sweet gradebook. But the thing that I like about it, and I like it so much better than Google Classroom, is because it lets you modularize your work. You too can set up the week-by-week structure. And and I will tell you, I know I'm like hammering away on this. It is so important, and it works so well that I have managed to convert the entire academic calendar at the school where I work for all the other teachers to this week-by-week setup. And you can do that in Canvas, and it's completely free. Great. That's that's really powerful. Um, Courtney, where can people go to find out find out more to to connect with you or to to some great resources you done? Or, or websites or blogs or anything like that that you'd recommend? Um, well, you know, I work at the Well-Trained Mind Academy and I tweet at OSTAF1. That's O as in Ox, S as in Sam, T as in Tom, A as in Adam, F as in Frank, F as in Frank, and the number one. And I'm on Facebook. I think I might actually be the only Courtney Ostaff in the world, so I'm pretty easy to track down. And um, if, you, if anyone has a specific question, um, in my other life, I'm also the secretary of the West Virginia Home Education Association. So I am totally used to like random people messaging me with very ultra specific questions. Do you have sex at math six five on page sixty two question three? Do you know how to solve that? <laughs> so feel free, hit me up. I'm perfectly happy to do that. Um, in terms of um, educational resources, um, I really like the stuff that John Cat Publisher mm. puts out. I don't know if you know any of those resources, but some of those are really nice. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, Courtney Ostaff, thank you so much for your time today. It's been incredible to have such an experienced online educator on. Um, I guess for me, there were two really crystal clear takeaways from today's chat with you. Uh, the one is that the most important thing is to have that week-by-week setup that's clearly organized where students can see exactly what they need to do, exactly when, and it's got everything right there with all the links. Um, mm-hmm. I've already found that myself with, for the week that I've been working on. When I don't do that, students just, I get about 50 emails saying, what am I meant to be doing? Um, so it actually increases my workload when I don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing, I really appreciated your outline of how to do the collaboration, um, getting students to respond to a prompt question and then providing a structured way for them to give feedback to other students and guidance about what quality feedback looks like. I do actually have one more question on that. With a single prompt, when they're all responding to it, do you find that many of their responses are just the same or could they just copy paste and slightly alter another student's response to that original prompt? So uh, there's a couple ways to address that. And the first way that I do it is that I wait in there myself. And so I model good responses from the get-go. Every student gets a response from me um, every every week for at least the first month. After that, I can kind of ease up a little bit. Mm. 
so there's that. The second thing is that, yeah, sometimes, like, if you don't ask a good enough question, then, yeah, it's going to be, you know, mimic, mimic, mimic. So the, the trick is to ask good questions. And like I said, that having those three different ones kind of helps minimize that, you know, because mm. they're not all going to hopefully answer this, the same Okay, question. so they can choose, you provide a selection of questions and they can choose which one. Yeah. Okay. Um, but also, I don't hesitate to nail them on it. Be like, you know, that is not okay. And and the power of the screenshot is powerful. So I take a, a screenshot and I'll be like on a quiet, you know, like email, you know, I noticed that you did this and you may not have meant to do this, but I want to encourage you not to look at other people's responses before you write your own. That's like the first go round. Mm. The second go round is, you know what? I'm not giving you full credit for this response. That's mm. not okay. And the third go round is, hey, you and me and mom, let's sit down and talk about this. That's really good. Courtney Ostaff, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. And I, I am super excited, like I said, to be on your show. I think you do great work and, I, and it's wonderful. Thank you. Thanks, Courtney. You've made a fantastic contribution. Thank you. See you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this chapter of the ERRR podcast online education special, please share it with friends and colleagues. And please consider supporting the ongoing production of the ERRR podcast at patreon.com forward slash ERRR. Signing up as a patron helps to communicate to me the value that listeners are receiving from the podcast and helps to keep the production of the podcast financially sustainable into the future. That's patreon.com forward slash ERRR. I hope that you enjoy the rest of this education special.